Thank you all who have served. I hope you are feeling honored and, and appreciated. That's what we want you to do today, feel appreciated. Well, it's my pl- pleasure and privilege right now to introduce a friend of mine who's going to be speaking today. A friend of mine, Ron, he's a, he's a friend, he's a fellow church planter. Him and I planted churches about the same time, a um, number of years ago started and, and uh, worked in that, in that role of church planter, somebody who starts a church from scratch. And uh, there's only a few of us around, Ron. We're a grizzled, <laughs> a grizzled few. And, uh, and uh, so it was a, it's been a joy to know Ron and his wife, Debbie, for, for a number of years, Christian brothers and sisters, good friends of ours. And uh, um, I had contacted Ron, I don't know, about maybe a year ago or six or eight months ago, and asked if this year he'd consider being our speaker. Um, some of you may remember two years ago at our veteran service, we did something where we wrote cards um, and sent them to a family whose son had passed away in the military service. Well, that was, that was Ron and Debbie. And um, so two years ago, a little over two years ago now, right? Their son, Justin, um, was killed in, in, in duty um, in the military. And I've asked Ron if he'd come in and speak to us this morning. And uh, so, Ron, um, it is our great pleasure and privilege to have you guys with us today. I want you to come in and share with us this morning. Is that the numbers these days? One in three church plants survive? Yeah, one in three church plants survive. It's a, it's a tough thing to start a church. when In the environment where all the churches have been around for a long time, maybe they have a hundred year, uh, they're living off of dead people's money and, you know. <laughs> so it's a, it's a challenge. Uh, but ours are both living still. So new freedom still going. Um, I love my old church. I miss it. And uh, we'll explain a little bit today some of the circumstances why I'm not pastoring anymore. Enjoy, though, the time that we've spent together uh, eating breakfasts at district council and talking about all the things that only pastors can talk about among each other, you know. You guys wouldn't understand, but... <laughs> oh, we might have talked about you. <laughs> And uh, also your former pastor, Paul Hansen, have admired him for years um, and had the privilege of leading worship with him at camp a few times. I mean, he wasn't leading worship with me. He was the speaker and I was the worship leader. But uh, we're just very honored to be here today, Debbie and I. Um, We were down in Milwaukee yesterday for the Veterans Memorial Day Parade. And it seems like whenever I'm at a place where there's a news camera, I always end up on it. I don't understand. I got pulled by somebody else to somebody else, and all of a sudden I'm in front of Channel 6. So I don't know if you saw us for a very brief time on Channel 6 last night. We were there. Otherwise, check my wife's Facebook. She reposted it. (laughs) Debbie Ross. It's under the uh, email address, delightron at aol.com. Because Delight is her middle name. And she was born to Delight Ron. (laughs) It's just a joke. (laughs) But I have to say I believed it for many years. (laughs) Oh. Well, it's been two and a half years since Justin 
passed away, killed in action in Afghanistan. Um, yesterday we sat at, um, what's the name of that restaurant? What? The Safe House. By the way, if you want to get into the Safe House in Milwaukee, there's a password. You know about the password. I need a safe house. Now you owe me because now you don't have to dance a silly jig or twirl around or whatever while everybody in the restaurant watches you on camera. The password is I need a safe house, okay? So if you're ever downtown and you need to go to the bathroom or anything and you just go there and say, I need a safe house, okay? They'll let you in. But we were down there sitting uh, with our new family, Gold Star families, families who've lost loved ones in the service, uh, 50% of which are families whose um, loved ones have taken their own lives since they've come back. So the war is not just overseas. The war is in the hearts and minds of people who have served. And all of those around you that you know that have come home, they need support just as much as those that are overseas. Um, I haven't been in that exact role. It's got to be great turmoil every day, knowing you're the one that came home and your friend next to you didn't. That's just as hard. So, And I'm in an interesting role today. Uh, I'm going to do like the old preacher said. I'm going to tell you what I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to tell you, then I'm going to tell you what I told you. Because normally when I was pastoring, I would, I would never preach this way. I would never share this way. I always found a text and pointed, you know, Christ, the gospel. It's Jesus Christ. The gospel is not military service. The gospel is not Ron and Debbie Ross, that, whose child died in Afghanistan. The gospel is Jesus Christ. But somehow we end up living a very split life where we have this spiritual side and we have this everyday life side. And we don't find way to integrate them and realize that that whole concept isn't even really a biblical concept. Christ, uh, Paul said to the spiritual, all things are spiritual. So we don't have a part of our lives that isn't spiritual. Your work is spiritual. Your leisure is spiritual. Your private life is not that private to God. It's spiritual. Or it's not. <laughs> It needs to be. So as I share with you today our story, it's a little out of character for me because I'm used to preaching a good message, and today I feel a little uneasy in two ways. One is I'm just sharing our story and our process and some of the difficulty of it, believing that maybe some of you have had difficulties in your life too, challenges that you've had to get through. The other side is that I haven't preached much. I feel very... I don't know, naked and weird, because um, when we stepped aside from our church, I, I didn't preach. I, I've done five weddings and preached about six sermons in two years. And after preaching every Sunday for the 14 years of our church plant, that's just a really different thing for me. So bear with me. Um, I'm also a weeper, so get ready. But kids say the darndest things, you know. There used to be a show on TV about that. Debbie and I have grandsons now. And our oldest, we Skype with them 
Uh, every Sunday night, somewhere between 4 and 6 o'clock, we usually Skype with our grandkids in Lafayette. Our four-year-old Joshua and our eight-month-old Josiah uh, from our oldest son, Nate. And a few months back, good six months ago, Joshua started in the background. He, You know, he Skypes well, then he loses attention, and he's off in the background jumping on his bed or playing with a truck or whatever. And and he was jumping up and down on his bed, and he was just kind of singing and saying a little song, beer liquor, beer liquor, beer liquor, beer liquor, beer liquor, beer liquor. And I said to Nate, Nate, what are you teaching him? And he looks at his wife, Christy, and they look at each other. We have no idea what he's saying. We have no idea. He came home from church with that today. <laughs> beer liquor, beer liquor, beer liquor. And I'm like, well, what kind of church do you go to? <laughs> so he obviously was not saying beer and liquor. He was saying something he thought he heard in a song, and he's repeating it. And he doesn't, even, he doesn't even know to this day. We've tried to get it out of him. He doesn't sing the song anymore that way. But he heard some kind of lyric or some kind of phrase, and in his mind it stuck beer liquor. It's kind of funny. It reminded me, and I reminded Nate when he was a little boy. I think he was about five, and I have a video of this. And I've used it at uh, our middle son, Justin's, and our oldest son, Nate's graduation, and made sure we put the picture up of this during the video, but they're both laying naked in the bathtub um, right next to each other. Uh, Justin, who was probably two or three, and Nate, who must have been five or six. And they're like, it's suds up all the way across, and they're laying naked in the bathtub. And all of a sudden, Nate says, while he's on camera, he says, Dad, we're drinking beer in the name of the Lord. We never have had alcohol in our house. We never, he've never seen us drink beer. We had never drunk beer. So we have no idea where he got that. My point here is we get a lot of things prior to eight years old. I don't know if you've ever studied some of this, but our family, we, we listened to a book on tape on the way out to our homeland, northwest Montana, last summer. And uh, the book was, it was called The Social Animal. And uh, David Brooks is the writer. It's not a Christian book, but it talks about human growth and development. And in human growth and development, we find that the things that we experience and hear before eight years of age, however we interpret them, whatever they seem to be, they seem to be true to us. Okay? So whatever you heard prior to eight, you thought you heard, you thought you saw, you felt like you experienced, it just seems true. Because prior to eight years old or so, you don't have the equipment developmentally to say, I think that was right, or I think that was wrong, or I'm not sure about that, or, you know, I've been thinking about this. You know, it's just your experience, right? And we all have ways we think about things. We think about men, we think about women, we think about spiritual things, uh, all kinds of things that we have experienced in life. And some of us sit here today with unchanged opinions since some of those things. What I found is I've put a lot of things, I've pulled out of the Bible to support those things that I believed from before eight years of age. They're not necessarily the right way to think, but they certainly were the way I've thought. Some of them I still think that way. Some of them I've discovered during the last couple of years. Um, 
when Mark and I were, were talking, one of the things we talked about was uh, the Romans 13, 1 through 7 passage. And let me deal with that for just a little bit. When you're thinking about going into the military, or you're thinking about police service, or you're thinking about how do I deal with the whole idea that the military, they kill people. But I'm a Christian and we love people. How does that work? You know, Jesus laid his life down. He allowed himself to be killed. But as a military person, you might have to go out and, and kill somebody. And that just seems like a very opposite type of a thing that we fight with and that we deal with. And, and how does the Bible deal with this? And so we talked very briefly. I just mentioned this. It's, uh, if you go a slide forward, I think. Um, yeah. This is a picture we took at Arlington National Cemetery where Justin is, is buried. And this is the changing of the guard. So moving. If you've never seen it, there are a few things on the planet that you ought to see more than this. Unbelievable. Whether or not you've ever had somebody in your family buried in Arlington, you've got to see this. But uh, many things in the Bible have a dialectical nature to them. Dialectal is simply a word. It's, it's opposite. That's how come we have so many different versions of uh, spirituality and religion out there. Mine's the right one. No, mine's the right one. And, you know, we kill each other for it, right? But there's only one God, we say that, worthy of worship, one true God. So how does that work? Well, it's because the Bible is full of dialectical things, the op opposing things. You know, to be strong, you've got to be weak, you know? To be rich, you have to be poor <laughs> spirit. It's full of things that are seemingly opposing, and yet they're balancing. They're both true. They're both true. Are we not strong in the Lord? Is he not our saving, strong, and mighty arm? And yet many times is not the strength of the Lord shown through weakness. It is just true. But when it comes in our life this way, we grab onto one side of that truth and we want to ignore the other side of it because it's more painful to us. And so we just don't embrace it as the dichotomy. We try to think of it in our enlightened 18th century minds that we live in today and call it Christian, <laughs> and we just have reason is what I'm talking about. We try to reason it all out, and if we can't reason it out, we don't like it. But his ways are above our ways, aren't they? The Old Testament is filled with fighting and world domination. and So we might even use that Old Testament, you know, war and all the mighty things that were done, you know, the Scripture that says the Lord will arise like a warrior drunk with wine. <laughs> and we try to use that for support of the military, but we forget the big idea of why God's people needed to fight is because God's people were the example of God in the world. And for them to be stamped out, there would be no more way for God to love people. So when it came to them being stamped out, they had to defend themselves because God's people were the way other people found out how what God's like. Okay? So that's about boiled down in a little nutshell. And I move into Romans. And if you want to look this passage up in your Bible, we just look at this um, quickly today. Maybe sometime, Mark, you can preach a series on this or have me back and I'll preach a series on this. Because all I can share with you today is really the big idea of this passage of Romans 
13 and verses 1 through 7. So every person should be subject to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed. And those who resist will incur judgment, for rulers are not a terror to good conduct, but to bad. Would you have no fear of the one who is in authority? Then do what is good, and you will receive his approval. For he is God's servant for your good. But if you do wrong, be afraid, for he does not bear the sword in vain. For he is the servant of God, an avenger who carries out God's wrath on the wrongdoer. Therefore, everyone must be in subjection, not only to avoid God's wrath, but also for the sake of conscience. For because of this, you also pay taxes, for the authorities are ministers of God, attending to his very thing. Paid all, etc. Let us remember that first century Judaism was in subjection to the Romans. With Romans dominating their community, in some cases living in their homes to try to curb them away from Jewish practice and toward Roman practice, Greek practice. And that was the environment of a Jew. Put on top of that, the environment of Christian. So the Jewish people wanted to overthrow the Romans, and some of the Christians wanted to overthrow the Romans. And what Jesus said was, don't you know that those who are in the authority are actually the hand of God? How much harder for the Christian of the first century to receive that verse than it is for us. Whether you like your local government, your national government, it's the hand of God. Do you not know that it's the sword of the Lord? So we could go way into that, but what I want to deal with the part is of the military. When, we, when a person enters into the military, the police force, uh, government authorities, they really move out of that individual setting and move into a corporate setting where they're a part of something that God is using for the protection of society. And so it's a difficult role to play to say, I'm a, I'm a Christian, I love people. You know, like World War II when they crawled out of the, the trenches at Christmas and the, and the Germans and the uh, Americans sang, or the Allies sang Christmas carols together and exchanged rations. Those were people being people. But at the end of the day, they had to go back and be the role that they were playing on behalf of their governments. And so those that have been torn over these issues, there's a sense of when I'm the person, I'm humble, I'm kind, I'm loving, and then I have to step into another role. It kind of reminds me of uh, our big linebacker used to be with the Packers, um, the Reverend Reggie White. You know, you never met a nicer, kinder guy if you ever met him. But you ever never met a worse guy if you had to play against him. And that's a lot of what it's like for the military, the police force. You know, unfortunately, sometimes people are attracted to those roles who like to dominate, who like to be rough, who like to be tough, who like not to be challenged. That is ungodly. Outside of the role, this should be the kindest, nicest, meekest person you ever met. And how difficult then to switch and have to be troubling. <laughs> Except if you understand the bigger picture. We're being used by God to preserve 
what God needs, what God has chosen to share the message of his love to the world. America needs to survive. America needs to be who she started to be because the message of the gospel needs to go to people who don't know it yet. It moves me into the story of my son. Uh, It was three short days before his death when he called me. And uh, I happened to be home to catch his call. And Justin had been doing, uh, he, he was a combat engineer, and he drove around large vehicles that could take blasts. In fact, in the November before his death, they had driven over a IED. It had blown up right under the engine compartment. It had blown the engine several hundred feet from the cab. All four guys in the vehicle survived. They were just shaken up. He called me. I was in Minneapolis. He said, Dad, don't be upset. Don't worry. But my vehicle blew up. I'm okay. That was in November. And then we got word later of his death. But he had done a dismounted patrol. They got out of the vehicle, and they were walking and clearing the way, walking, clearing paths, checking areas to find out if the other, the 101st Airborne and the 1st Mountain Division could come through this area to get to a Taliban city. And they were working with the uh, Afghan Army guys, the good guys. They call them the AA, the Afghan Army guys, and teaching them how to be how to defend their own country. And they're sitting around at supper and they're having lamb stew instead of their rations. And he says, Dad, we're trying, we get into the subject of freedom and we're trying to describe to these guys what freedom is. There's no word in their language for it. They don't understand the concept. He said, I understand why we're here. I'm so thankful that he had that opportunity before his death. And I'm so thankful that I got the chance to talk to him about that before his death. It was um, just a couple of days later, I was coming back. Debbie was at work at Yonkers. I was coming back from a membership class Saturday morning, come back to let the dog out, walked across the yard to let the dog out, and a blue very clean, washed, navy blue four-door pickup driving slowly down my street. And I could see through the windows the men in uniform. And in a split second, I knew who they were. They were the guys coming to give notification of Justin's death. Immediately put the dog away met them in my driveway, ushered them into my home, had them sit, and I sat across from them on the couch. As they shared, we're sorry to report to you, Mr. Ross, that Justin has been hit by small arms fire. In actuality, it was a a sniper, a 50 caliber sniper from quarter mile, half mile away, one shot, followed by a barrage between the, you know, the two groups of people. He was, he was on what's called an army doking. It's a Vehicle that you don't drive, but you drive remotely with remote-controlled joystick, and you work it through an intersection with its claws and pull up bombs. And while they were doing that, to allow another Army division to go through to take a Taliban city, he got hit by a sniper. Following was all of the just whirlwind of things that that had to take place. Um, I went to tell Debbie and uh, enfolded her 
into my arms in her place of work. We went home. Of course, the Army had told us that day we had just hours to decide if we were going to go to Dover, Delaware, and receive his body at what's called the Dignified Transfer, where his body comes off the aircraft. The uh, old guard from Arlington comes over on Apache helicopters. They land. They walk across the tarmac. They receive that soldier, in our case, one soldier on a 747. They receive that soldier off the lift. He comes down, a general on each end, the old guard on the sides. They lift they lifted Justin off of that, that platform and into the back of an army vehicle that was like a glorified hearse truck, and then off he went. And that was why we flew to Dover, Delaware for those five minutes. What I'll tell you of the many, many details is that this rocked my faith. You know, we didn't send Justin off with this scarf with Psalms 91 on it. I will rescue those who love me. I will protect those who trust my name. When they call on me, I will answer. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. We didn't, we didn't, we didn't send him off with this to get that notice. We sent him off with this for him to be protected. You know, that mentality of when I was young and my mom, the pastor's wife, taught us, and I got a nickel for it, I remember, the 23rd Psalm. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for thou art with me. And then we sang the song in church, it's only a shadow. The death thing, it's only a shadow. It's not real. And so that rocked my faith. And I think theologically, I'm a good Assemblies of God minister. I think I had it right theologically on paper. But I didn't have it right in here. And I would, uh, I would guess many of us don't have it right in here. We think if we serve God, what that means is everything is supposed to go right for us. When trouble comes, it's the devil. And when difficulty comes, it was not God's will. Something we need to pray harder about. Something I did wrong. Sin in my life. Something that's just wrong. It can't be that this is God's plan. That troubling place that I found myself in caused me after four months of trying to pull it together to step out of my own church that we had started. Really, I don't know how I could have done anything different, but honestly, it just made it worse in a lot of ways because it was like a double death. We lost our son, then we lost our baby, the church. It was our life. It was our baby. We started that thing. It was our whole life for all those years. But I could do no other thing because it couldn't be untrue to my people. As I was warring inside with how does this work? How does How is God the God who I put my trust in and yet he takes my son? How does that work? So what I realized over time is that I had a worldview that was built around me. You know, God works all things together for the good for me. Because I love him to them that love him and are called, are called according to his purpose. So I've sacrificed a lot 
And so things should go better for me. Well, I tell you, if that is a wrong theological mooring. And if we go back to the first century Christian, you see it's not the way they thought. They were called Christians. They were called little Christs. And it wasn't just because they did miracles and cast out demons. It was because they suffered. And Constantinople, Constantine didn't get converted from Christians being rich and wealthy and having things go well for them. He got converted because you couldn't turn one of them, even unto death, even in the lion's pit, even when uh, just destroyed in an arena before cheering fans. Christians wouldn't turn. They would, they would not deny their faith. So it's been a lot of thinking over time as I've warred with the Lord about this. You know, one of my favorite movies is The Kingdom of Heaven. My wife likes watching movies that are nice. No one shoots anything. Nothing blows up. Nothing catches on fire. And people just talk. I like the other kind, and I guess... I raised my boys on them, and I suppose that's why one of them ended up in the military. But in this movie, it's about the third attempt to take back Jerusalem from the Moors, the Muslims, which leads to an eventual leaving of the city by those who are Christians and giving up Jerusalem to the Muslims back in that third crusade campaign. In the movie, two things are a given. If you are a knight, you work for the king. And if, and you know that when you see the array of cast at the beginning of one of these kind of movies, they're all not all going to make it to the end. You know it's true. But you're so caught up in the mission of it and the importance of that greater story that you almost forget by the end of the movie that, oh, I liked that character, but he got shot with an arrow in the head. And, you know, I mean, all of those kinds of things that happen and you, you forget because you should forget, because the big story is more important than the littler story. But we don't feel that way in our everyday lives, do we? Why do we exist as believers? It's for the big story. God thinks, he works all things together for the good. His big story that people may know. And in order for people to know, it takes looking at me in my suffering, and saying, does he still claim Christ? That's what it takes. Or is his Christ and his Christianity just something that goes good in good times, and if it's a bad time, it doesn't go so good? Because people need something that they can sink their teeth in and put their tent stakes into and build their house on in difficult times. Because people have difficult times. So I, you know, the old song, will understand it better by and by. I was a, you know, I was a worship leader for 17 years. Um, one of my first churches was down in Brookfield, Wisconsin. And uh, we look back at our wonderful singing Christmas trees and living crosses and all the things that we did and worship teams and it was great, great memories and great music. But the, the war of the gospel is won in the trenches, not on this stage, 
not even through preaching many times, but in our lives out in the everyday world and how people see us live those lives. I should describe a couple of these slides. This is um, at Arlington. As the caissons, which they still carry the casket with horses, um, behind the flags there's a taller man. He's on a horse, and the stripes behind it is Justin's casket. And we're coming down the hill. We're up in the crowd and coming down the hill to Arlington. You can advance the slide. So this is Justin on the left. Uh, These two pictures were caught by some national press, AP, and posted on Yahoo. And we had no idea who took them or how they were taken, but they were shot from far away right during the internment. And um, Debbie being escorted. And I remember as in the bottom right corner, as I was kneeling, I felt in that moment something that I have to admit that I have broken this several times since. But I pulled my family together and I said, you know what? Jesus died for our sins, everyone's sins, including the churches. And I will not speak negatively about the church anymore. Justin died for our country. And I will not speak negatively about our country anymore. It was just one of those moments where I knew both of those statements needed to be true because they were. They needed to be true in my life. Because it wasn't some of the things I was saying and doing that were going to change things in the church. (laughs) And it wasn't some of the things I was saying and doing that were going to change things in our country. Matthew 5.16 says, In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So it's in our, it's in our tough times that this light shines. I would like it to shine. Let's see, what would I really like right now? I've been a Subi guy. I really like Subarus. But lately I've been thinking I'd like a Hummer. They're big. And people move over when you drive big things. You know, you want to change a lane, you just put your blinker on and you just do one of these things and they just move over. You know, there's things we like and we'd like to put them into a spiritual sense in our life and we'd like to put some sort of a future utopian setting. This is what I'd like it to look like in five years. Lord, this is my hope. You know, I want my kids to be in this position in life and I'd like to be in this kind of a house and this kind of a job or I'd like to not be working by this point and this is my hope. And when our hope is challenged, that kind of hope, we, we become offended. Lord, why did this happen in my life? Why isn't it working the way I want it to work? And it's because we have the wrong definition of hope. A couple of years ago when I went back to seminary, I, I, I was reading an author who's dead now, long ago. And he said, you know, any hope based on anything other than any eschatological hope, future hope, 
based on anything other than the past is going to let you down. And I'm like, that goes against my doctrine. The blessed hope. Number 14 or something like that. You know, that Jesus is going to come back to earth and I'm going to be done. Soon we'll be done with the troubles of the world. Going home to live with God. You know, life sucks. Every day it's hard. But someday Jesus is coming back and it's going to be great. You know, that is true, but that's not all. Because people aren't going to be changed just by that. People are going to be changed by the blessed hope that lives in me today. Jesus died. Is my hope based on what I think that's all going to work out to be? Or is my hope based on something that happened in the past? The death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, which you cannot take away from me, that is unshakable. That's the unshakable kingdom. My kingdom is the one that, that I build and imagine and it falls down. The unshakable one is the one that's already been built. See, Jesus was giving this message to people who were slaves. People who were women who were worse than being slaves in that day. And saying, there's no slave nor free. There's no Jew nor Greek. There's no male nor female. And, you, and yet you go home and you got to live the same way you did. You're still a slave. You're still a woman. You're still a child, not numbered. And he said, there's life beyond where you are today, and it's the kingdom of God. It's something in here that nothing around here can shake. Amen? Can we get a picture of that? You know, that I don't even want that to be true. Unless hardship has come and difficulty has come and I still want to have hope, then I want that to be true. Hope floats. I just, that phrase, and I think it was a movie that I don't even like, but... That phrase, you know, you throw something in the water and you go, I wonder if this will float. David Letterman has a thing, will it float? I always like that little episode. Throw it in the water, will it float? No, it sinks. Okay, it doesn't float. Hope floats. You don't have to throw it in the water to see if it floats. It floats. And our relationship with Jesus Christ, what he did on the cross is enough if we don't in the church occasionally say something like like this, okay, do I have all good days? Is there some days where I don't challenge God and I say, Lord, why? How is this a great example in my life? How is 29 years of ministry, starting a church, walking away from it, going back to college, getting a seminary degree, and then driving a Schneider truck down the road for a living, how is that a great example? How, you know what? That's not building me up today, Lord. I said that in the cab of my truck the other day. This doesn't build me up. And as soon as I said it, a verse came to mind. I'm like, I think I learned a verse in Bible quiz about this. Build up, build up, build up. It didn't take long, Jude 120. Build yourself up in your most holy faith. Build yourself up. In your most holy faith. Not your job. Not your car. Not the kind of vehicle, home, 
expectations. That's not how we build ourselves up. You want to know if those are the things we're relying on? Take them away and see if our hopes are dashed and we find out if that's what our hope is on. Mine was on the wrong stuff. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. Amen? Amen. So finding hope. You know, remember Romans is also the one that talks about the Hall of Fame. Everybody got pulled apart and eaten by lions and boiled in tar and all them great things, you know. You want to be in the Hall of Fame? (laughs) So what are we to do today? Today and tomorrow, things don't go well. We don't ignore the pain. I think if we ignore the pain, we cause people to leave their faith. Because when they come to pain, when I look shiny and clean and perfect and like everything's great with me all the time, and then you come into pain and you go, well, something's wrong with my faith. Something's wrong with my God. Something, it it doesn't work for me. It worked for you, but it doesn't work for me and I leave my faith. I almost left my faith because of that confrontation. But Christ would not let me go. God came to every intersection of my life and in my road and just let me know that he's bigger than the challenges of my everyday. He's in them. And now the step I'm trying to get to is stop licking your own wounds and care for others. There's great healing in reaching out, caring for others, noticing that others have the same challenge that you went through. That's where healing and and strength comes from, is carrying out that mission. So that's where we're we're trying to get back to. And uh, let me just pray with you today. Lord, I thank you that you are an ever-present help in trouble. I thank you for the great examples of the Word. Many people, through the Word and through the history that we know in the Christian church, have been delivered. He is able to deliver me. But should you choose, should your mission require suffering, may we stand just as strong, just as proud, and just as tall as when we win. Because the whole purpose, Lord, is that you may win. However you choose, coach. You are our commanding officer. You are king. You are our Lord. And our Savior. And our soon coming king. Thank you, Lord. Amen. I wanted to say one other thing. I know I've gone super way over, but this, this, um, who's the quilt makers? Raise your hands. Raise your hands. Thank you. We must have a dozen different quilts that people have made, but this one came from you guys, and uh, along with all the cards. It's in the memorial room on Justin's bed.
And there's just many times where we'll go down there, we'll take one of these quilts, just throw it around ourselves. And feel the love that went into making it. Thank you. Thank you so much, Ron, Thanks. for sharing with us. I think this is maybe the first time you've kind of preached a message about this, right? Well, you think when we talked, you hadn't yet. And yeah. So yeah. thank you for being so, so open and transparent. And thank you for preaching a message. If you, don't, if you didn't get this, a message of the gospel that's not being taught. I think we teach it around here. I think we try really hard to teach it around here. It's kind of the opposite of what's being, if you turn on most TV shows, that just says, oh, if you just love Jesus, this is the word that he said, the favor of God will be with you. Well, there is something about the favor of God with you and walk with Christ. There's things that you have as, with Jesus you can't have any other way. A peace, the peace of God surpasses all understanding. Yep. You can't get that any other way. You, there's things that come from walking with Christ that you don't ever get another way. But this idea that everything just works wonderful and kind of the way I say it around here is if you just you serve Jesus, people say you're going to be healthy, wealthy, and wise. It's a bunch of nonsense. Because God causes his people to suffer or allows us to go through suffering so that he can be seen in it. So thank you for being Unless wonderful. Unless he needs me to be healthy, right. wealthy, and right. wise. Right, right. <laughs> Seriously. And that's what you're saying. For his glory. For his glory. So we're not, we're not looking to say, oh, just make my life miserable. Yeah. Um, because there's wonderful things in serving God. And, and so thank you for being so honest. I want to give you something this morning, present you guys with something. It's just, just a replica of what we, what we have had made. There's a brand new park in Port Washington um, with uh, the, the whole honor flight system, if you're familiar with it, flying to World War II veterans back. Kind of the, one, I think the guy who started the whole thing in the nation is from Port Washington. Really? Wow. Yeah. And um, so it's huge in this area. And so they've built a brand new park in Port Washington right by the lake. Beautiful park. And they've and built in the center of it a replica of the World War II memorial. And there's a thing on the ground that are all bricks that you can purchase. And so there's a brick. And I, is it in? It, it is in. And we're trying to get it done in time because they only once or twice a year do it. So there's a brick that looks like this. And if you want us, we'll take you there to see it in, um, in Justin's name. And so there's a brick in his name at that memorial right now. And so we wanted to say that every time... We as a congregation walk down there. You take your strolls and you go down there and you look at it, you're going to see Justin Ross's. And the, the verse is the verse that, was, that is on his tombstone. Yes. And so we looked, we looked online and got that. John 12, 24, unless a seed of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it, it dies alone. But when it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Yeah. And so that's, that's the verse, and that's true. Much fruit is coming. From, from this. So we thank you guys so much. We have no idea, some of us have no idea what it is like to have gone through what you've gone through. But my faith has been challenged in a positive, encouraged, as I have watched you guys walk through what you're going through. And so thank you for, for being the gospel. Thank you for being the gospel. Amen. God bless you. Go ahead and give me a hand.